the number one podcast that corporate tenants turn to in Seattle. Relocations, expansions, contractions, subleases, renewals, and redesigns are no problems when these champions are on your side. From the Orion Commercial Partners World Headquarters in Seattle, Washington, this is the Champions for Corporate Tenants podcast. Now welcoming your champions, your hosts, Gil White and Stephen Cougar. This is Seattle's only commercial real estate podcast. We introduce you, the corporate tenant, to landlords, developers, vendors, and consultants. This podcast is for you because we talk trends and strategies that can be used today for your real estate situations and decisions. Our episode is about sustainability, and our guest is Kevin Wilhelm. Kevin is the preeminent business consultant in the field of sustainability and climate change. He is the CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting a Seattle-based consulting firm focused on practical solutions that deliver profit improvement and brand value through the use of sustainable business practices. Kevin brings over 19 years of experience working with businesses ranging from Fortune 500 multinationals to renewable energy startups. We're talking 110 clients in 37 different industries. Clients include Nordstrom, REI, The North Face, Coinstar, Redbox, Drugstore.com, on and on. In addition to his firm's consulting work, he is the author of the acclaimed Return on Sustainability, How Business Can Increase Profitability and Address Climate Change in an Uncertain Economy. He's taught at seven different universities on the subject of sustainability and sustainable business. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just kind of start off with sustainability what, what's it kind of mean and and more importantly where's this movement for for the corporate user Where, where's it kind of come from where's it evolved it's a great question the the term sustainability it's one of those terms that it, it pretty much means something different to every single individual one of the things that when we're talking with organizations um that we find is that their their term of whether they're talking green or sustainable or you know social justice whatever they all kind of have a general idea the most popular term or definition for it is that you're trying to meet the needs of the present generation without compromising the needs of future generations now for a business that's not necessarily what it what it means for most organizations you know, it can mean if you're a small business, it's just trying to keep your lights on. You know, sustainability means how can I get enough money to, you know, pay cash flow and payroll. For large organizations, how can I, you know, be sustainable? What does that mean? How can I be around in 100 years for my shareholders and my stakeholders? But for most businesses, when we talk sustainability, we're really talking sustainable business. And what that is, is it's finding a way to use sustainability to find cost savings through energy efficiencies, water conservation, waste reduction. It's reducing risk. It's increasing profitability through the opportunity of you know new products, services that are out in the marketplace. It's improving your brand value, and it's and it's a way that you can actually increase employee retention, morale, and even productivity. So when you talk sustainable business and why the movement has really taken off is that a lot of organizations are finding there's 
real business benefit for acting in a more sustainable manner. And that's truly what's driving it. When the, when the movement, so to speak, got started in the 70s, you know, it was all driven around the environment. In the 80s, a lot of it switched to more the, the social justice, human rights activists with, you know, workplace sweatshop labor conditions. And about every five years, it bounces back and forth between social and environmental. So you'll have an environmental issue like the Deep Horizon, you know, oil spill in, in the Gulf of Mexico. And then you'll have two years later, the Bangladesh fires, and it brings the attention back on workplace you know, conditions. Now it's, you know, a lot of conversation is about gender and equity pay. And of course, even now you're getting these conversations about gender neutral bathrooms. And so things within sustainable business are constantly evolving. But what we're finding with businesses is that they're, they're understanding that there's real business priority and imperative to act on this because who's driving it when you say, you know, is it a movement? Really who's driving it now are investors and large customers. And when I say large customers, I'm talking big brands, Walmart, Microsoft, Hewlett Packard, you know, you name any of them. They all have supplier questionnaires they're sending down through their supply chain and they to mitigate their own risk and to improve their brand value and their reputation with their customers and their investors. They're shoving these sustainability criteria down throughout their own supply chain because they want to make sure that whatever they're purchasing meets the requirements that will also meet the needs of their investors and their customers. Kevin, it's really refreshing to hear that companies like Walmart and others are you know, pushing this sustainability concept through their supply chain, which ultimately benefits their customers. But these guys are, that you're referring to are, are big behemoths. In my opinion, sustainability is still a progressive concept for the small to medium-sized business, maybe not here in Washington, but generally speaking, you know, do you have an opinion on that? Absolutely, and I think you're, I think you're correct in that certainly businesses that are maybe on the West Coast or on, you know, in New York City, they have more of a progressive bent and sustainable business, they're a little more open to it. However, this is, this is not just an, uh, a regional phenomenon. This is a national and global movement that's happening. And in a lot of ways, I relate sustainable business to where we were, say, in the mid-'90s with e-business. You know, everyone was starting a hamper on an e-business strategy. And if you had a website, you had you know, companies that were throwing money at you in the early dot-com days. And then you, you fast-forward six years – and no one's using the term e-business because it's just the way business is done these days. And I think the reality is, and you know what our firm really has worked with a number of uh, organizations, especially whether you're on the tenant side or on the landlord side in the property management area, is helping them realize business value through the implementation of sustainable business practices. And really what the numbers have started to show is, you know, there's still a mindset of, well, sustainability, it's a green mindset, it's a liberal, democratic mindset. But when you really peel back the, the onion on it and you just show the numbers, it's really more about how can you have uh, like a building space where your employees want to come to work? Where can they be productive? How can you, I mean, we've we've basically squeezed as much out of that turnip in terms of employee productivity as we can over the last two decades. Um, but how can you actually find a, a place where employees are going to be more productive, where the imp morale is going to be improved, where they're going to feel more comfortable at work, where they're going to be happy to come to work. And you're finding case studies where 
organizations building property management companies are finding that they can lease out properties that have quote unquote green benefits or lead certification faster than traditional buildings because you know if you have a, a building that's painted with no VOC paint lo and behold employees aren't sick as much absentee rates are down so that all saves money for the tenant when you're looking at a, a place that has um, better passive solar and and windows for you know and and better airflow finding that people are more productive when they see light and even hospitals are starting to see that patients actually improve on an average of one day faster they get out of the hospital if they have a window than if they don't and all of that saves a ton of money and when you bring it back down to a business you know who's thinking about why should we why should we care about this why do we need to worry about our green employees no matter where we are whether in the we're in the midwest or the southeast or wherever we are the reality is that by employing some of these business practices if your employees are more productive you're actually making money by doing this and so too often people get caught in the nuances of it's a movement it's a liberal idea and if you just take all that away and you just focus on the dollars and cents it really makes sense yeah it's really just about uh productivity at the end of the day and if you create a healthier environment for your employees you're going to find that they're more productive they call in sick less uh perhaps they uh they have a better attitude about things. Something else I wanted to mention is it is great to see developers and property owners getting more hip to the concept of sustainability and weaving in recycling practices, perhaps uh, composting on every floor of their office building, for example. But to what you mentioned earlier about creating a healthier workplace, it's also neat that we have really extreme development projects like the Bullet Center here in Washington that are demonstrating to the rest of the world that mm -hmm. you can actually create a living building that accomplishes all the things you're talking about, a healthier workplace, operable windows, uh, sustainable building products, etc. But showing that there is actually a, a, a need, there are tenants that are willing to pay the price to occupy a building of that uh, building standard, if you will. In your experience, are you seeing that tenants are seeking out those types of properties more? Are, are banks taking notice, for example? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'll start with the, the tenant side and then come back to the banks. But on the tenant side, as you know, organizations realize that in addition to productivity, just some of these, these business practices where you're um, focusing on energy efficiency, you know, water conservation, waste reduction, recycling, having, you know, in this city or whether you're in Portland or, or, or anywhere really where there's an, an urban hub, you know, locating where there's walkability, location of mass transit, having bike storage, having showers on site. A lot of these things are quote unquote seen as progressive, but they're really seen as a way to attract tenants and attract employees. And certainly we're seeing that with the, the millennial generation where, you know, it's almost unbelievable if we think about anybody who's over the age of 40 would, would think, oh, who wouldn't want a car? Who wouldn't want to, you know, have independence? And we're seeing that more and more people are wanting to live in a spot where they can, they can get to work without having to drive. And so that, that's one element of it. Banks are, are incorporating this in. A lot of them, especially, the, say, the sixth largest banks in the United States, 
they're following these principles called the equator principles, which are basically when they're doing high-end lending to an organization to finance a, a building or development, that rather than trying to mitigate costs on the back end after things have been done, what's you know traditionally done in this country is you know you build something then you mitigate after the fact. They have a set of principles called the equator principles, which ask a series of eight social and eight environmental questions that they're asking organizations and developers to to bake into their equation when they're building something ahead of time so that can they be proactive in terms of lowering that environmental and social footprint on the front end and then on the back end what you have is that 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 kind of healthier building or or development coming back to you know are we seeing companies look for this absolutely uh companies that want to be on that cutting edge that want to attract the next generation of great employees what seemed cutting edge five, 10 years ago is now seen as kind of table stakes. You know, a lead certified building was something that was really unique, you know, a number of years ago. Now it seems like even some of your, your, your larger extractive industry companies, their corporate headquarters might be lead, you know, because they, they realize that by building to that standard that they're going to find a way that that landlords can lower their costs of energy, their water bills, their waste bills. They're going to find that, um, say, for example, Unico Properties have found that by going into uh, buildings that are you know healthier and greener, they're finding faster turnover rates. That that you know if a space comes available, tenants move in there faster. Um, they're finding that the leases are longer, so there's less uncertainty. There's more certainty in terms of cash flow and ability to manage your own financials. So there's a true business aspect to why this is happening. Okay, let's talk about inside the four walls of a, of a, a corporate user. Um, they're inside a, a, a fantastic building, and what are corporate tenants doing, or what are you seeing corporate tenants doing? Give two or three examples that... Uh, that that easily a smaller to mid-sized company could could incorporate into their plans you know there's there's a, a number of things that organizations will do and i'll just tell you right now you can if you want more information on this you can go to our website we've got a, a green office checklist that you can just look at um if you're anybody who's listening just wants to know what can we do in our our building a lot of it comes back to stuff that you know people just took for granted in the 70s and early 80s, but we've gotten away from. You know, lighting and energy use are probably the biggest um, you know impacts not only from an environmental perspective but from a financial perspective for any tenant. And so, any way that you can you know get motion sensors and dimming switches, and even just having things where the lights and the power are off on weekends, a lot of organizations have built into their lease that the heat and the energy needs to basically be on on Saturdays. Well, we found with when we work with clients, 95% of the time, no one's coming into the building on Saturday or Sunday. Maybe a couple owners or, you know, if you're a law firm or an accounting firm during a busy season, they'll be coming in. But you don't need the entire building turned on. You don't need all the lights. You don't need all the heat on during that time. And so if you think about that, that is a way that you could actually reduce – your energy usage between 15 and 20% just by asking your landlord to not turn it on. Now, granted, you can make it so that people can come in and override and turn on the switches on weekends. That's just a really simple thing to do. Another thing that you do is just putting in, you know, when you have the automatic thermostats, I mean, we all think of, you know, 
building maintenance guys is what they were 20 or 30 years ago, you know, kind of the, the pudgy, uh, you know, old curmudgeon, you know, maintenance worker. And nowadays, you know, buildings are more high tech and you can actually set the heating and cooling of it. But we've all been in those buildings during the middle of summer where they're freezing and people are wearing coats and they're getting cold. And you're like, what are you doing? And then we've all been the opposite way where, you know, during the winter, the buildings are so hot inside that people are in, are showing up and, and, you know, dressing in polo shirts when they should, you know, and then they have to bundle up when they go outside. So, you know, right sizing the, the thermostats, but even doing something very subtly. And we worked with organizations to do this where during the summer, they'll just turn the thermostat up one degree. And during the winter, they'll just drop it one degree. And they'll see a dramatic reduction in their heating and cooling costs. And no one knows because they turn it on on Sunday night at 11 o'clock. The building gets there. People just, it's whatever temperature. The other thing is most office settings, so not this one here, but if you go into most traditional office settings where you've got the cubes and the compact fluorescent lights, a lot of them have three ballasts. And all you have to do is, we tell a lot of organizations, is go in at Friday afternoon or Saturday morning, remove the middle ballast. You Automatically, you've cut your energy by a third in terms of your lighting. Now, the lighting will be what it's going to be on Monday when people come in because the lights are going to be turned on. And no one will know that it's any different. And so these are some really simple things to do. And then as far as everyday operations, it comes down to paper and, and it's usually behavior change. And you don't need to actually change anyone's behavior. You can have your IT person or your office manager just go into everyone's printing preferences and set them to print to duplex. Set the copier to print to duplex. You know, just put little simple things in there. These are very simple ways you can dramatically cut down on, on your impacts and save money at the same time. Really good advice. So, uh, Kevin, share, share with us, what, what, if, what if you go into a building where the landlord doesn't care? You, you raise these issues and, and it just falls on deaf ears. We find that a lot of times with clients that they try and have the conversation and the landlord just, you know, maybe it's an absentee landlord, you know, say you're here in Seattle or say you're in New York and you, you get someone in Chicago and they don't care or the building turns over three times in a year. How do you get the landlord's attention? A really effective way of doing this, we, uh, you know, work with a lot of our clients to do this is if you can show that it's in the landlord's best interest. So what we do is we ask them to, you know, try and track their energy usage and then look at, you know, do walk around the building, get other tenants involved. We say, you know, if you can get a, a group of tenants in the building, form a little sustainability committee and then approach the landlord and say, hey, we would like to partner with you. We'd like to find a way we can actually reduce your energy costs and maybe we can, you know, you know, share in this 50-50 or 30-70 or, or whatever, but in a way that it'll, it'll lower the tenant's cost, but you show that it's in the landlord's best interest. Because for more often times than not, landlords are trying to maximize their ROI. And so if you can show them that, hey, if we go in and can, you know, put in some energy efficiency upgrades, their, their energy costs are going to come down. And so they'll have a higher margin they're going to be on board. But then, of course, if they're an absentee landlord, they're going to say, well, we don't know how to do that. And there's a number of free programs out there. Almost every major utility offers uh, free you know, motion sensors. They offer discounts on things like 
um, exit signs that are on all the time. They offer, you know, discounts on switching to LEDs to complex fluorescence, switching from T5s to T8s on your light bulbs. All of these things are out there about weatherization in terms of, you know, how can you reduce heating and cooling costs? How can you reduce water usage? Um, and you can even, they even have free materials. So one of the things that I, and we work with a lot of our clients to do is we will look at what the utilities offer and that it's already out there for free or what audits they will do for free. And we go to the, we go to our client who then either goes to the landlord or goes with a group of tenants and almost makes a presentation that says, hey, look, we would like to make sure that you have a higher return on investment by lowering energy costs. Oh, by the way, here are all these free programs and you don't need to do a thing. Just don't get in our way. And most, you know, landlords are, you know, totally you know, dumbfounded, you know, they're just, they can't even believe it. It's, you know, they're like, wow, this is a mythical thing that just come up with people are going to show us how we can make more money. And, and that's how it's done. And when it comes to them of, Hey, we want to do something on, you know, for earth day or our employees, we want to calculate our carbon footprint. It's just going to fall on deaf ears. Um, you really have to show a way that this is going to actually be in their best interest and help them for the long term. Okay. So many tenants are on a triple net lease. And the thought is that they can kind of control their own, you know, utility cost and, and within their four walls. How can you get the landlord involved uh, to help out on, on, you know, sustainable practices? Yeah, that's a really common situation. You know, you're at, let's say you're a small business or medium-sized business or even a large business that goes into a, a pretty big office park. You're going to be in a situation where... You get your, you know, everything, all your utilities are wrapped up in your triple net lease and, you know, you're just paying by square foot. Again, if you think about it from both perspectives, so let's start first on the tenant perspective. If you're a, a law firm and you're right next to an IT firm that has got giant servers and they are just sucking energy, you're basically subsidizing them being in your building. So you are at, your own profitability is at risk and you're basically subsidizing your neighbors on the floor, which you don't want to be doing. So this, this is a, a situation where, say, the second Seneca building here in Seattle, one of our clients was in there. They were a law firm. They were finding out that when Washington Mutual was still around, they had their servers up on the 17th floor. And those just sucked like 85% of the energy of the entire building. But every one of the tenants was paying just equally by square foot. So what we advised our client to do was, hey, do, do, you know, take a, take a look at your triple net lease, look at your energy uses, and let's actually get a, a free monitor from the city. Let's calculate a carbon footprint for your own company, see what you're doing. They realized, wow, there are a lot of things they could do on their floor, but the landlord didn't care about. And when they got the other tenants together and said, look, really the 80-20 principle out there is, you know, we're not you know, trying to ask you to put gargoyles on the side of the building and make it look crazy to deal with water. But what could you do that could actually address the issue? And so by bringing the tenants together and saying, look, we're all paying for this triple net lease, but really this one floor where these servers are is using 85% of the energy. Let's focus there. And so rather than trying to radically redesign the entire building, what they did was they, they worked to find a way they could adjust the heating and cooling on that one floor that dramatically cut everyone's energy usage so that the landlord made more money, everyone else's triple net lease could come down, and the organization at the time, Washington Mutual, which had the servers, they were paying less to keep their servers cool. So it was a win-win-win situation, but you have to 
you know, look at it from both sides' perspective. And, and too often where organizations or individuals who care about sustainability, they only come from it from, you know, an ideological or, or you know, everyone should get it standpoint. You really want to put people in the other shoes. But just by asking some of these questions, you would have never known, you know, if you're looking at, if you're in floors 14 through 16, you would have never thought to consider, well, what's the person down on floor three or floor four working through? But by coming together, they're able to actually address that. So a common situation for us is uh, uh, a, uh, a client says, we need new space. We, we take them through the survey. We go out and look at new space, and, and we, we, we share with them some of the sustainable um, elements of those buildings and what have you. And at the end of the day, they say, you know, at the, you know what I really need is that $30 per square foot to really be 27 And even though this other building costs a little bit more, has these great, uh, great features to it, I'm going to go with the price. So what do you say to a tenant like that? The reality is that is going to drive it. And so, you know, if, if somebody is in the, let's say, in the building acquisition space or they're the person who's put in charge of, you know, finding new space for the organization. And we had that with my firm. I mean, I was no different. Um, I had a, a space downtown for my company and we were paying exorbitant fees. And the first thing I did was, well, let's look at the cost per square foot somewhere else. Um, and then we took into, so that'll be the first question that everyone's going to do. But then you ask the broader questions. Where are your employees coming from? How are they getting to and from work? Are you near mass transit? So we wanted to make sure we were located right near a spot that was good for mass transit because traffic here in Seattle is awful. And if employees could get there by bus, they were going to, they were going to be more productive. They're going to be better rested at work. They weren't coming in with that frustrated feeling every day. And they also didn't feel like they had to leave at 3.30 in the afternoon to get home by a decent hour to get to their kids' ball games or whatever. They could find a way that, hey, this, this would work. So we, we started asking those type of questions. And then the reality is sometimes, you know, they're going to look at that price per square foot. And the sustainability benefit may not be the primary driver. But just like when you're buying um, anything, you know, we found is a when you're doing market studies right now, that it's usually the third or fourth, you know, decision point. Sustainability is not going to be one or two. People are going to choose on price. They're going to choose on aesthetic and affordability or quality. And then does it have what they're looking for? And so oftentimes, if you have that beautiful space and you can show that it's green and you can show those business benefits, it's, it's no different than talking to a business about a capital budget versus an operational budget. And if you can say, let's look at your total cost of your lease over three to four years, and yes, the price per square foot may be lower here versus there, but if you take in all the consideration, all the factors, you know, the greener option will be better for your company over the long term. So last question. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you ever get to a point where you've kind of maxed out everything you can do with sustainability and sustainable business practices? Do you get to that moment? No, everyone, you know, people think that they get there. And what we say is, you know, there's a continuum. So from the, uh, you know, the redneck in North Carolina who thinks that they're recycling, they've hit it all while they drive their Hummer to work to maybe the, the tree hugger Seattleite that bikes to work and, you know, wears their hemp clothing and, you know, you know, drinks everything out of their own personal mug. The reality is as an organization or someone who's listening to this podcast, you're never done because, there's employee turnover and people come from different perspectives and even different geographical locations. You have to constantly be re-educating and bringing it to the forefront of your employees. City of Seattle is a great case study where, you know, they built this great lead certified building, but then they didn't train their employees 
how to act within that building. And they didn't, they actually saw energy use go up. We see this within most organizations where the average employee, you know, only stays, you know, 4.2 years. So if you think about it, that means 25% of your workforce is changing every year. So you might have made a big pitch for Earth Day a year and a half ago and talked about the compost bins and ways to dispose of things. But in the next year and a half, all of a sudden you've, you know, 20 to 30% of your employees are brand new that may not know that. And if they're coming from a different geographic location, so I'll just use Seattle, for example, there's different recycling ordinances here than in Bellevue, than in Renton, than in Northeast. And it's that way all over the country. What may happen in Indianapolis or to a suburb of Broad Ripple or Carmel or wherever you are, they're all going to have different things. So people think that they can do at work what they do at home. And so if they can't recycle certain things at home, they're going to think I can't recycle these things at work. And so it's a constant process of education. And what I tell people is just like when you think about it with real estate or property, it's no different than when you think about like going to the grocery store and buying eggs. You know, 10 years ago, you're like, okay, great. I uh, have organic eggs. And then it became and now they're grass-fed, and now it's no GMOs, no antibiotics, and soon it's going to be, and we sing to the chickens at night, and they listen to classical music. No one knows. It's a constant, the, the parameter's moving, and the same thing is true with buildings and with property management. No one thought of the idea of having a living building and having walls inside a building that actually had greenery on them. That just seemed way too hippie, and now they're realizing, wow, that's a really great way of actually cleaning the air so that people aren't as sick. And you know what? People love to see greenery because it's the only time they're going to see it in their drudgery or their work in a day. So re- constantly remembering that it's, it's an evolving you know, case study that moves within organizations and that you need to constantly re-educate your employees um, is important to make sure that your sustainable business benefits are realized. Kevin, all great stuff. How, how can our listeners get hold of you? What, uh, tell us the website. Tell us the videos. Tell us the books. i, I got to imagine that, uh, you know, first up ought to be Amazon.com. Yeah, you can uh, first go to our website. It's sustainablebizconsulting.com, and that's B-I-Z, so sustainablebizconsulting.com. There you can find information about what we talked about today. You can also, you know, come back and listen to this podcast. We have a series of, of links that are really helpful for businesses that are going out there. Um, there's links to my book from there. You can go to Amazon. You can just search by my name, Kevin Wilhelm, or the best book for implementing this stuff if you need a business case. One's called Return on Sustainability if you need to make that business case. If you want to understand how do you actually influence your employees and how do you change behavior, say, of tenants within a building, the second book, Making Sustainability Stick, is one you want to look at. You can also follow me at Twitter at Kevin Wilhelm SBC. You know, at, that's my Twitter handle. Um, or just give our office a call at 206 935 But it's been a, a great pleasure to be on this podcast with you today and uh, look forward to, you know, imparting any wisdom I can. And if any of you listeners are out there, if you want more information that's free, just give me a buzz. Thank you for listening to the Champion for Corporate Tenants podcast. The corporate real estate industry in Seattle is their domain. So you can be sure that they will be serving up valuable insights and topics in each and every episode of Champions for Corporate Tenants. You can also listen to previous episodes of this podcast 
at www.orioncp.com. Thanks for listening, Seattle.